beloved, you are now tuned in to Three Black Men, a podcast by three black men where we talk about theology, culture, and the world around us. The following content may not be suitable if you ain't real enough. Listener discretion is advised because real recognize real. Here's the hope when we look familiar. I come across a book um, by Hubert Brown, a black brother from the 1970s, writes this book called Black and Mennonite. And he, he makes this dope argument, check this, hold your seats or something. He basically calls out white Mennonites and says, look, um, like you've lost your Anabaptism basically. And, um, and that the black power movement and black theology actually have more to do with Anabaptists from the 16th century than you do, right? And he says, if you want to regain it, you can align yourself back on the margins among the oppressed and those who are struggling for justice and freedom, and you'll actually be closer than to the 16th century spirit. And so what he does is he dislodges this sense of ethnicity and sense of ownership, right? And gets back to the roots and the heart of, of what the Anabaptists were about in the 16th century. I mean, they were, you think about it, poor peasant rebellions. All right, everybody, welcome back to the pod. Uh, my name is Robert. I'm Sam. And I'm Trey. Hey, and we're the three black men. And we have a special guest. And he's the first black man Yes, the four black men podcast <laughs> yeah, the for the first fourth, time. <laughs> the first black man guest on the pod, and it's the esteemed Dr. Drew Hart. Welcome to the pod. Welcome, brother. welcome. Oh, welcome, welcome. Thank I'm so you. hyped right now. So, well, <laughs> exactly. I'm excited and I'm honored uh, to be the fourth black man in the conversation. That's what's up. That's what's up. Exactly. So, so welcome, welcome, welcome. And I just want to say... Thank you. I, it's interesting. You are a busy man and you are an author. You have two books out. Who will be a witness in trouble? I've seen you're a professor. You also have a podcast and a whole yeah. network. You have a whole seminary that is yeah. kind of spawned off um, from this podcast network and you are busy and that's only a portion of it. You know I know, I mean? and that's only a portion of it. You are a Renaissance man. You can, man you know, with the master plan. Man. Yeah, I'm trying to get like you when I grow up. Exactly. Seriously, exactly. So, <laughs> thank you for being here. Thank you for blessing us with your time. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. No. I. No. On just complete honesty, I've just been looking forward to this conversation, and so there are. I mean, obviously, there are podcasts with black men leading it, but thoughtful, dynamic conversations around faith um, that are engaging our Blackness and wrestling with what it means to be Black men in this world. Um, that's, and I've been, you know, some of y'all I've been following on Twitter, we've been conversing back and forth. And so I'm, I've been looking forward to this a lot. Thanks for inviting me in. Yo, this is about to be lit. I'm about, I'm about, to, I'm about to shut the Rob's here right now, bro. Right. <laughs> yeah, so, um, so, Dr. Hart, just tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, the things that are important to you right now in the season of your life before we jump into this conversation. You know, we yeah. can brag on you all day, but and and I'll us. just keep it coming. Like, exactly you know, right. I <laughs> on a hard day, you know. I believe in words of affirmation. Bask in it, man. Bask yeah. in it. So Tell us a oh, little bit. Yeah, yeah. So I'm um, the son of Tony and Carol. That's mom and dad. And um, born and raised. I originally from Norristown, Pennsylvania. I don't know if anybody knows the Philly area, but um, grew up in Norristown. Lived there for 15 years. Um, I got siblings, uh, two, well, older sister, older brother, and a younger brother. Um, raised in the church. Um it was a non-denominational, but it was like Black Baptist, but undercover, right? Because <laughs> they didn't call themselves yeah. Black Baptist. But, um, but yeah, um, that I mean, in, in many ways, 
so much of who I am, um, I can point back to so much that was poured into me by that community. Um, so I was half church boy, half, you know, around the way, you know, and, and in some ways my life has just kind of navigated that space and, and, um, but I, let's see, what's important about me, you know, I have, I'm a Pennsylvania boy, so I bounced from Philly to, then I went to Messiah, um, at the time was Messiah College for my undergrad, and then I stayed in Harrisburg, I was a youth pastor in the city there, it's this multiracial church, this was like 05 to 08, um, and saw some of the underside of some of these multiracial churches, right? Um, and that's a, that can be a whole nother podcast. But um, yes. but then um, <laughs> and then came back to Philly, um, moved into West Oak Lane, East Germantown section of Philly, and did my MDiv. I was associate pastor at that time. Ended up continuing on getting my PhD, which if you know me, that in and of itself was not, um, it was not the plan. I wasn't like the, the kid that was always getting straight A's and it was just inevitable that I was going to get a PhD one day, uh, only by the grace of God that, um, that, that, that those doors opened up for me. Um, and, and, and I should say that all throughout that time, since my undergrad, I, the question that came to me was wrestling with how in the world could Christianity be so entangled with racism? Like that was coming mm. out of college. That was my question. Um, and mm. so I had been wrestling with it. So that's what my PhD was kind of grappling with some of those stuff um, in more sophisticated ways. Um, got married in Philly um, to my wife, Renee. We now have three kids. Two of them are from Philly. One are from Harrisburg because we moved back to Harrisburg a second time. So now I call Harrisburg second home. Um, and yeah, I'm involved. So I'm assistant professor of theology at Messiah University. I'm also the program director for a program that we just launched called Thriving Together Congregations for Racial Justice, We're doing some race and place stuff with 12 congregations in our region, um, helping them refresh their sense of ministry and practice um, and engage with the local histories of racism that have shaped our region. Um, yeah, as you guys mentioned, I, I'm a podcaster. I co-host with Jared McKenna, um, who's from Australia. Um, and so we got literally, it's a global conversation that we got going on, literally on the opposite side of the globe. Um, and it's called Inverse Podcast. And we do run Subversive Seminary, Decolonizing Sunday School, and a few other things. Um, and so there's a lot of cool folks, I'm sure, folks that you all know that are connected to that community. And it's just, it's a life-giving space. Um, and yeah, I, it's been fun to just see what God has been doing um, in our community. Um, yeah, author and other stuff like that. But um, but I'm just excited, yeah, for our conversation together. My man said author and other stuff like that, bro. When do you have time to eat? Exactly. Like, right. <laughs> like man, and other stuff like that, bro, and like, so nonchalantly, yeah, just like yeah, some other stuff too. But hosting yeah. a podcast yeah. with, with a brother from around, from, from the other side of the planet, you know what yeah. I'm saying? You know, uh, you know, wrote a couple books in there, slight work, you know, something light, a little yeah. Yeah. just a little light stuff. I'm like, yeah, bro. worldwide conversations. That's worldwide right. conversation. I feel I mean, embarrassed. I feel like a scrub. Yeah. Right wait is this an interview to replace one of us yeah. <laughs> one of you shall be replaced by this, this podcast no so uh with that lead-in so it's interesting so on the table today we're going to be talking about uh embracing different theological traditions and political engagement, right? As, yeah, yeah, yeah. as uh, we're going to be ruminating together, engaging together. And it's interesting, you kind of gave the perfect lead in <laughs> with that. And you have this interesting mix of backgrounds with uh, how you grew up and it's how you engage the world even now with global conversations and with how the faith tradition that you engage with now. Um, and I wanna frame this conversation with, we had a conversation in season one of this podcast uh, um, entitled, uh, it was, it, it, yeah, uh, talking yeah. about constructing uh, 
different theological tables. And right. so it's interesting to have Dr. Hart here because you have the massive <laughs> um, uh, undertaking of constructing theological tables with all different kinds of people, whether it's in seminary or your podcast or your books. And so I want to just throw out this first question to you is you're in this uh, particular tradition now as an Anabaptist, and I want to ask, how did you arrive there? And from being a Baptist, and how did you get there? And what are some of the hurdles that you find in that tradition now? Let me let me grab yeah. a notepad because that that is, <laughs> do you that, feel me? <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, that's a winding road. Um, yeah, we, no, it's a, it's 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 interesting, but it's actually been a really important part of my grappling. And in many ways, like people don't like you can't make sense of the work that I do. My writings, it's so deeply embedded with the intersection of two streams, right? Right. Um, and everything is resting with that tension. So my story, so I, as I mentioned, I went to Messiah College for undergrad. Um, I chose it because, so like my, my dad was a pastor and my grandfather was a church planter, right? I think Trey, you, you know this. Yeah, right. right. So my grandfather was a well-known like preacher, evangelist. He would travel. A lot of people don't know. Tony Evans came up, like he, Tony Evans got his call under my grandfather, right? So like my grandfather was out doing stuff, planting churches, multiple in the Philly area. So when I wanted to do undergrad, I was like, I don't want to be in the Philly area. I need like to get outside of this space because I need to be somewhere where my last name doesn't mean anything. Mm. No, I just needed, and I wasn't, let's be honest, I wasn't that adventurous. I wasn't going like to California. I just went two hours. I was like, there's this random Christian school, two hours west. That's where I'm going because so okay. I wanted to do biblical studies. I knew okay. from very early on, like that's where I was kind of focused. And so the biblical studies at Messiah knew nothing about its traditions, background, whatever. But Messiah has um, it was started by the Brethren in Christ, which was an wow. offshoot of Mennonites. And so they're now Messiah's not under the, that denomination, but they would talk about their Anabaptist, Pietist, Wesleyan roots, right? That's how Messiah talks about itself. So I go there for undergrad and get introduced to Anabaptism for the first time. Of course, I had never even heard of Anabaptism. I didn't even know right. the word, right? So I'm like, anti-Baptist? Like, what are y'all talking about, right? <laughs> Wait a minute. I'm talking this person. Like, no, no, no. It's, it's not, not going to work. It's not going to work. Right, it's not going to work. <laughs> and I was like, all right, so not anti-Baptist, but Anabaptist. And you start learning about the tradition a little bit. I learned a little bit, but in no way did I become an Anabaptist while I was in college. Uh, I was wrestling with some of the questions. I mean, it was um, interesting, you know, in terms of some of the ways that I was being taught about it. But in in many ways, um, it was I wasn't compelled by the tradition to like, you know, become an Anabaptist in and of itself. But I was exposed. But what happened immediately after that was there was a church in the city there, and this was the multiracial urban Anabaptist congregation that reached out to me. Um, that's a whole lot of adjectives there. That, okay, we're going to talk about that one yeah. in a minute right there. Right, because, well, in general, <laughs> you don't think of, like, you think of Anabaptists as white, right. rural. Yeah, rural, yeah. that's yeah. what I'm about to say. Those, those adjectives don't even flow together. <laughs> right. 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 You usually don't think of them as coming together. Urban, multi, multi-racial Anabaptist. Okay, yeah, oh, I heard that. I caught that. Go ahead. So... So in that community, um, and it was a whole bunch of things, like I don't want to overstate because I can, I, I'm, I'm suspicious of, you know, many multiracial, multicultural congregations and how they go about themselves. But that aside, there was also some really beautiful stuff happening in this community as well. Um, and there was something compelling about it that, again, I would say I, I wouldn't, have, if you had asked me, even though I, so I became a youth pastor then. But if you had asked me, am I an Anabaptist? I'd say, no, I'm not an Anabaptist, but I can vibe with some of the Anabaptist emphases. That's what I would have said at that time, right? So, all right, all that happens. Then head back to Philly. And it's interesting that when I was back in my Black church circles, that all of a sudden I was like, you know, 
I've been formed kind of in a way that I don't think I was being honest about before, like slowly, like some of this stuff has shaped who I was. And so the very first time I called myself Emma Baptist was in black church circles, because I wanted to just name the difference that I had recognized that a lot of the folks that I was moved with, that there was some emphases that I had that I just wanted to kind of be honest about, right? Yeah. And then all of a sudden in Philly, like Philly is actually a quite, it's like a, it's one of the coolest Anabaptist spaces because Philly, you've got like third generation black Mennonites. You got like Latino Mennonites. You got Indonesian. There's a, the largest Mennonite church in, in Philly is an Indonesian and a lot of like different immigrant groups and stuff. So like Philly's got, because it's so old in terms of like Mennonite history and stuff going back, there's interesting, cool stuff happening, but they're not doing the typical, like what you might think of as the stereotypical Anabaptist stuff. You know, like my friend um, Juan, he's got, you know, he's uh, Puerto Rican in North Philly with a church that's like two thirds returning citizens, you know, and and um, working there. It's just beautiful, right? You got up uh, in the Northeast, uh, a community, you know, doing cool CCDA community development stuff. You got folks doing um, sanctuary movement. Like this is a vibrant, engaged um, Anabaptist community and that's multifaceted in its expressions. So I begin to connect with them while I'm in the Black church still, associate pastor also then got another foot in this network because there's a network. They work even across denominations. There's this urban Anabaptist network that exists in Philly and they're collaborating, they're creating, like they had something called um, Kingdom Builders Construction Company, hiring returning citizens so that they would have work to do, right? And so just some collaborative projects. Yo, that's so dope. Speaking about mass incarceration, all that kind of stuff was going on. And so for me, like that was like the light bulb. So I had already started naming myself as an Anabaptist and then I'm like, yeah, and this fits, like this made more sense, right? With then some of the other ways that people were living out what it meant to be Anabaptist. And, and what was really powerful for me is, so I started like, and this was in, during my um, dissertation, all stuff when I'm reading, I, I come across a book um, by Hubert Brown, a black brother from the 1970s, writes this book called Black and Mennonite. And he, he makes this dope argument, check this, hold your seats or something. He basically calls out white Mennonites and says, look, um, like you've lost your Anabaptism, basically, and, um, and that the Black power movement and Black theology actually have more to do with Anabaptists from the 16th century than you do, right? And he says, if you want to regain it, you can align yourself back on the margins among the oppressed and those who are struggling for justice and freedom, and you'll actually be closer than to the 16th century spirit. And so what he does is he dislodges this sense of ethnicity and sense of ownership, right? And gets back to the roots and the heart of, of what the Anabaptists were about in the 16th century. I mean, they were, you think about it, poor peasant rebellions, and they were in the midst of that, wow. right? I mean, and so it's just- yeah, I'm sorry. What was what was his name again? Hubert and Brown. The, and the name Hubert the Brown. And the book is called Black and Mennonites. Black yeah. And, Mennonites. and so for a while I was carrying, you know how they say like King was carrying Howard Thurman's Jesus and Disinherited around. Yeah, I started yeah. carrying that thing around with me um, because it just it symbolized, you know, the kind of spirit of what I had been moving towards um, uh, quite a bit. And so anyway, that's a part of my journey. And then when I started, because of connecting with them, I started connecting with the Mennonites more. So before it was the a Brethren in Christ um, multi-year church, the Mennonites are actually, despite people's uh, perception, they're number one, they're 20% non-white, the denomination. There's a significant Black Mennonites, uh, uh, you know, community all over the country in pockets in different areas. Um, and they've been, I mean, I mean, you think about it, Vincent Harding, right? Friend of Dr. King, right? Yeah. Spent 10 years in the Mennonite church, right? Um, you got folks like Hubert Brown and all these, uh, Tony Brown. There's a whole bunch of folks. There's a community there. I just, I did an endorsement, not endorsement, I wrote the forward for a new book that's coming out. Regina Shan Stoltz with, writes with um, Tobin Miller Shearer, but she's this black Mennonites who teaches now, but she's been, her, her community goes back, you know, 
multiple generations, right? And so there's mm-hmm. this tradition that exists as well. And Which they've is. always been able to draw from the Black church tradition. It's not a, a tradition that like erased the Black church. It, right. it drew the best of, of those traditions and also claimed its Anabaptism. So I had I felt like I had met a lot of kindred spirits in that way. Yeah. Yeah, man, that's, that's the, okay. So quick, one one quick question and then, and then another follow-up after that. Do you currently like identify as a Mennonite? Like, are, are you? I don't identify as Mennonite. It's funny okay. when I go, so I, I, I have a black Mennonite friend who jokes and teases me and she says, um, the Drew, you're Menno famous. That's what she calls me. Yeah. Because uh, the Mennonites like to call everything Menno something. That's what they do. But um, but so I'll go in Mennonite spaces and speak. And I've spoken to like all their colleges and stuff like that. And they think I'm Mennonite because they see yeah. me so much. And I have to tell them, nah, you can't claim me. I'm not a Mennonite. But they be I doing I'm, it. I'm a I'm a friend of the Mennonites. That's how I always frame it. Okay. Um, yeah. But, but but I do claim that I'm an Anabaptist as a part of one of the you know ingredients of what makes me who I am. And so I consider Mennonites, many of them conversation partners um, that have influenced me and vice versa. I got you. Yeah, the Mennonites is out here recruiting and they got you in the brochures, dog. They was yeah. like, hey man, Drew Hart. <laughs> me. I literally have started out talks saying I'm not a Mennonite. Like I started out kind of like, y'all don't get to just claim folks, you know, but, um, but it's- You might but it's, be but, claimed, bro. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, let's see the second question, bro. And then the, the next one I had, and, and hopefully, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not trying to dominate the, the discussion or nothing, but no, um, you you mentioned that the the Hubert Brown book, right? Uh, Black yeah. and Mennonites. And mm-hmm. it reminded me of a tweet in, in a thread that I think um maybe a couple of us was in one time where you talked about how you almost went the other way. Like you ended up one way and who will be a witness is literally one of my 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 favorite books that I've ever read. Um, you do love with. that book. I really do. I'm just you, you know, listen to these books. I was, I was, yeah. I'm sorry. That's, that's it did, it did blow up our group chat for quite a while. <laughs> like, yeah, literally, yeah. I'm but, like, you but, are. <laughs> who will be a witness? Trey will be a witness. Trey will be a witness. But you know what? I actually just started it too. Um, a couple weeks ago, and I, I'm, I'm gonna be a witness in a little bit. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm telling, telling you, you, I'm, I'm real. A little Cause bit. he, Sam was working on some stuff, and he, we, he was bouncing back and forth. I like, yo, you know what you need to check out? Matter of fact, I brought up specifically that chapter on Barabbas. Yeah, oh, yeah. liberating Barabbas. Oh my that's god. The one. Oh man, that's the one for everybody. Matter of fact, yep. oh, we're gonna talk goodness. about that in a minute. Don't don't, yeah. don't let me forget that. But but yeah. back to hold your mule, to, go. Yeah, <laughs> hold my mule. Because you, you talked about how you almost went the other way, and you mentioned another book that I that I actually love. Like I have it on my bookshelf. Like at one point, I was determined it was gonna be one of the main sources in any dissertation I did. And you brought up Dr. Carl Ellis's Free at Last, and you referred to that <laughs> as the Black Reform Bible, right? So I want to know, um, it's like was there uh 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 like even just now we talked about when you was carrying around uh black and Mennonites was that before or after the or during the same time like do you hold that intention how do you view contributions um su- such as those nowadays in your formation yeah I mean so the free at last someone gave that to me uh, immediately after I graduated college so yeah. I never swam in reform circles but someone had get I mean it was when you're searching, I was searching. And so, you know, I mean, he was engaging, you know, um, black folks, at least some of our questions. Um, for sure. I, yeah. For me though, like I had, so I read that, but then a little bit after that, I read James Cone's Gotta Get Pressed. That was ah. around the same time. And I mean, you can see where <laughs> I went from there. You know, for me, yeah. You know, I mean, that was, I mean, I still, I read God of the Oppressed every year. Man, I read God of the Oppressed every year. I'm right? like that with Free at Last now. Yeah. Since I, Trey put me onto that. Yeah. So, so for me, like, it, there, I, I appreciated, you know, his, in fact, I, uh, there's a guy that was influenced by Carl Ellis, uh, Robert Gelinas, um, and he has a book um, called Finding the Groove, and it's kind of playing off of the idea of jazz theology that Carl Ellis teases yeah, out a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I really like what, what Jelinas does with it. He goes in a whole, it's beautiful what he does with it. But, um, but I don't know, at the end of the day, like, I mean, I don't want to say 
Maybe it is. Uh, maybe I will say, like, maybe Anabaptism and Reformed theology are probably incompatible with one another because they're two different ways of thinking about Christianity. Um, and so I think, you know, the the way that I was leaning around that combined with then Black liberation theology, um, you know, it it couldn't work for me as a theological system, even if mm. I could draw from particular things that I thought were helpful in terms of how he phrased things. And with that, this is the perfect time to take a quick break. Stop, look, and listen, party people. I wanted to, on behalf of the three black men, give you some ways that you can support your favorite three black men. So... Uh, I wanted to say that, number one, you can like, rate, and review our podcast. So all you have to do is go on, especially if you have Apple Podcast, just go ahead in the app, like, rate, and review. Okay? Um, But only if you have something positive to say. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so when you like, rate, and review our podcast, uh, it's... increases our visibility uh, and it helps us to um, be more credible. It helps us to uh, gain sponsorships. Uh, So yeah, so like, rate, and review. Number two, share this pod on social media. So especially when we drop trailers, go ahead, retweet that on Twitter. (laughs) And yeah, go ahead and share. And lastly, you can support our Patreon. Uh, We'll have our Patreon link in uh, the description of our podcast episodes. You can also follow us on Twitter. Um, So, yes. So those are a few ways that you can be um, active in helping to support us. And maybe you personally don't have a lot of money. And you want to know what are some ways that I can encourage and amplify these brothers' voices. So those are ways that you can practically engage with us, amplify our voices and uh, the conversations that we are trying to put out there in the world. Amen and amen. The beauty in... And the ability to embrace theological traditions and the organic nature of, hey, I can appreciate the beauty of Mennonites without being Mennonite myself (laughs) and put different um, things and conversations with each other without even having to be from that tradition, right? And so I'm appreciating the beauty in hearing your story, right? And so part of what I'm hearing in in what you're saying is, hey, I'm able to take the beauty from this tradition, from this book, from this thinker, from this author, and not incorporate every single thing I'm hearing, but uh, grow in wisdom and knowledge uh, without throwing everything out with it. And so right. in this age right. that is like hell bent on mm-hmm. yeah. deconstructing, but never arriving at knowledge, yeah. <laughs> yeah. never yeah. arriving yeah. at yeah. anything and all, and uh, just never arriving anywhere. I just am appreciating the beauty of what you're saying. Uh, yeah, right you know, I appreciate that. Yeah. And, and, you know, for me, like, it's been, it's actually quite, I mean, so let's play with music, right? sometimes the dissonance too, right? I mean, yeah. yes. like there, there's some ways in which the traditions, there's some things more than what people might expect that fit well together. And then sometimes there's some dissonance there. And even in there, there's some beauty in the wisdom that can emerge in that dissonance that I think um, sometimes we like things a little too easy, a little too And we don't have cut. to resolve it. We don't have mm. to resolve it. We don't have to have a simple, easy cookie cutter answer to everything we can sit in the tension and and in that sometimes we're seeing more than than what we might think when when everything feels nice and and smooth and see that like that is um 
hearing that and and rob reminds me a lot but here and, and trader is too but but hearing that is it's it's been difficult for me because um i was sort of raised um baptist pentecostal yeah, yeah, fundamentalist yeah. um type and then i went to reform or well then it went to sort of that um billy graham evangelical to then from it's been it's right or wrong there's no there's no wrestle there's right. no like you need to pick a side right because who will you serve this right. you know what i'm saying right, right. Um, it, there's always sort of been that pressure um right. to know for sure and to choose and i never felt like i had the liberty to to wrestle with it and it's crazy i don't want to say unfortunately but um i think it's fortunate because my kids get to witness it but i have a family now and so i'm sort of wrestling with it so we just left reform theology like <laughs> December of last wow. year. And so now we find we're finding ourselves where we we're drawn back to the black church, but then there's some things in some of the churches that we saw that we didn't necessarily like that are a little bit um sure. yeah, uh you know, I just can I and so yeah, no, go ahead. No, nah, my bad, my bad, my bad. I thought you was done with it all. Finish. Go oh, ahead, bro. Uh, and and so like we're wrestling with things and we still um, we love scripture. We love God. We love Jesus. We love people. We love the idea of community that we get in the church. We just don't like what we're seeing from the church as it, as it goes to community. And we, we're not planted in a place where we can really affect such change. Um, and, and so like now we find like Trey, Rob, Rob you know, these, these people are my community. Um, I, I mean, you know, um, we still watch stream services like I watch Refuge and things like that, but we don't feel the pressure to feel like we need to necessarily know definitively everything of what we believe. We read right. scripture, we love God, we read books. And honestly, now I'm even comfortable to be like, I'll, I'll go, I'll scroll through books and I'm like, well, what's this? Should I read it? Uh, because, you know, you know, um, Reformed theology will teach you, you know, this, this is heresy. And, you know, Stanford is that. Um, and so trepidation when it comes to reading books, like I don't want to touch it, you know, it's danger. Uh, and, and even some other spaces will do that too. Oh, you don't want to touch that, that's dangerous. Uh, and so now I'm like, you know, what? I just read it. And if it if it's good, I'll take it. If it's not, whatever. I, I read a book and I learned something that someone else believes. Um, so yeah, just hearing that and not feeling like I need to, yeah, be able to, um, choose when i first saw the hashtag and a black to vism and a black division right, yeah right. yeah yeah like hearing you speak all of that really makes a lot more sense now so yeah i mean because you think about like the logics of reformed theology i mean it's deeply deeply embedded in like a western enlightenment sensibilities right um yes. and so it, it, it takes the posture, I mean, we could say of God, right? Universal, all-knowing, certain, clay, you know what I mean? In totality, right? Yes. Um, right. Yes. And, I mean, that's literally, I mean, that's, that's this is where, where Black theology and Anabaptism, like, they both were on the underside of that. They both mm -hmm. felt the implications of that mode of Christianity, right? Yeah. Coercive yeah. tyranny from the top down, yeah. but confident nonetheless, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. A sovereign God, right? That is like <laughs> a tyrant and has no compassion for people. Um, yeah. right. Like, I mean, it's just there are some dangers, I think, that that and so it's at those moments that I'm like, yeah, the conversations around deconstruction <laughs> need to happen for some folks a little more than others, because some of this is dangerous but as robert was saying like you know um what what are we going to embody right um, yeah. for every time you say no to something you should be saying yes to something right uh. and i think that um we've lost sight and so for me to learn from two streams and traditions that were born that were merged uh, on the underside right um that mm -hmm. have known the crucified christ's um, um, in their own lived experience and out of that wisdom and oral traditions um, have passed on from generation to generation a different kind of 
uh, invitation to follow Jesus than what has been the mainstream dominant version. I mean, I think that those are, and those, those two are not the only streams, right? There are multiple streams that have been born on the underside, but I think that uh, we have not given enough attention to, I mean, certainly I think people think about it in terms of the black church, unfortunately in a Baptist community, the loudest voices have domesticated th- that own tradition um, mm-hmm. so that it no longer reflects, I think, a tradition from the underside among, you know, the celebrity Anabaptist, the white male show, right, that happens in the Anabaptist world. Mm-hmm. But there is a different on the margins Anabaptism that exists as well um, that still holds to um, something much more beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. That's dope. I think like we, we have brought up reform theology a couple of times. And one of the things that is so appealing about reform theology to so many people is this sense of scholarship and uh, and, and yes. knowledge and, and this whole thing. Systematizing okay. it all. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Especially especially if you come from a tradition that is um that 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 is somewhat uh, i guess fundamentalist in some certain senses or mm-hmm. or and and it requires you or encourages you to elevate uh certain certain mythologies to to actual like scientific fact and things like that when you find out that there's this community of biblical scholars who can make all of these things and, and, and like you said systematizing and, and put all of these wonderful words to things and everything is appealing because now i get to engage my whole being and my intellect and things like that right. which is why i think that a lot of the work that you are doing is important right like so i left um, my first seminary because it just wasn't for me um and and i uh we, we ain't got to talk about that but eventually when eventually back, we will i'm just playing <laughs> stop that stop that right now uh, it's not in the contract that is not in the contract um, <laughs> but 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 i i i declared i was like yo if and when i go back to seminary I, i'm going to an hbcu um and that's what i did because what i realized is that people don't get to tell me where scholarship exists right like right. That there are scholars right. Um, and, and, and I went among scholars who respected all of me and my history and, and some of the traditions that I've respected as opposed to denigrating it and, and tossing it out. But the work that you're doing um, is, is so interesting because like it, it is, is reclaiming the idea that scholarship exists only in this way, right? Like who will be a witness? That book is thick as hell. Like so many footnotes to all this stuff. Like, you know what you're talking about, bro. And, 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 and all this stuff about system type, like, okay. A systematic theology that does not allow for embodying and, and practicing in ways that somebody who doesn't also know that systematic theology can appreciate is no good to me. Right? Like if, if we have to leave it in the halls of academia, what, what good is that? And even like, the 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 name because that is a very long subtitle on who will be a witness i'm not even gonna try because but but you are you are very um direct about the fact that no okay i want you to get this information and it ought to motivate you to do something like you even talked to there at one point you you prepared to go to this rally and, and you had planned on going to jail like you know you you marry your scholarship with action and it's reclaiming all of the things that so many people appreciate about certain strains of the black church, even though I'm going to be all the way honest, sometimes we'd be lying about the black church because they wouldn't know like not, not everybody in the sixties was riding with Dr. King, but, but, the, but reclaiming the people who were, you know what I'm saying? And, and marrying that with a level of scholarship that appreciates the fact that no, you don't engaging God with all of your mind does not mean that I have to land here. Um, so I appreciate the fact that you can still, open all the books and, and do all your learning and, and preach and, and, and uh, all, all of the halls of academia, all of that stuff while still having your ears to the streets. Yeah. I think that's yeah. important for making sense, you know? Can I also say with that, I think uh, the ear to the streets part, I think is that's important to me too, because mm-hmm. And almost to me, I respect you in that realm more because yes, there are these credentials that you have earned rightfully so. And I respect you um, for those credentials, but keeping your, uh, 
your ear to the streets is so important to me because, you know, scholarship in these credentials is one thing, but being relatable to mm-hmm. our people and giving bread to everyday people who will never be able to see mm-hmm. the inside of a classroom is why I respect you on a human level, right? Because mm-hmm. for me, scholarship has to be able to be translated to p- everyday people, right? And and so for me, I respect both ends of who you are, right? And I, and that, that for me was the hard part of me choosing to go to school, right? Because, Mm -hmm. you know, as a black, black man, I felt this tension of, do I want to be known in the halls of academia when I know many people will never have that privilege, right? And, right? And will I be known for scholarship with being in rooms with people who will never, ever, ever, ever (laughs) be in the streets with people who look like me ever, right? And so I I echo what Trey said, uh, both ends of what Trey said, I respect you on on both fronts too. So I I love, I love that. I appreciate that. And I mean, in some ways, like, you know, I've had to make, make a decision and continually make the same decision over and over again about Mm -hmm. why I do what I do. Um, Because, I mean, let's be honest, like among scholars, I get kind of side-eyed, right? Because I'm not writing books to other scholars. It it does not Mm. look good. I'm telling you, it does not look good. And I appreciate that. Because books to other scholars are often whack, but sorry. Exactly. (laughs) But it's real though. Like there's a real pressure. and, And I mean, People that for your term and tenure, they want you to do all. And so you got to make some decisions about like, why did you begin down this road to begin with? Right. And for me, um, well, number one, even my first book, like um, for Trouble I've Seen, I always tell people that the story behind that is I was in my PhD program and um, Ferguson Uprising took off. Mm-hmm. I had just finished both of my, um, I finished my coursework. I had just finished my comprehensive exams and I had been locked away in, you know, the library while everything is going on, you know, and I decided like, I need to speak into what's happening right now. Cause that's, that's actually the work that I was already doing prior to that. I wasn't like traveling like out of state, but I was in Philly and Harrisburg. That's the work that I was doing with churches. And so instead of working on my dissertation, I wrote Trouble I've Seen. I didn't tell my advisor. I didn't tell my committee. Um, and I, I did. So if you look at the date of when Trouble I've Seen came out, it came out January 2016. I didn't graduate until the spring of 2016, right? Um, and so the timing, you show like I, I put my own dissertation on the back burner because I wanted to speak to everyday people about these issues that were going on. Mm. And so that's the kind of spirit that I've always had when it came to what kind of scholar I want to be. And the same thing with who will be a witness that, you know, I want to talk about what I'm embodying and actually living out on the ground and invite people into this, right? Mm. Um, In fact, a lot of it, so, so who will be a witness? I was speaking to congregations and folks are like, all right, sounds like, at the end of the trouble scene, you want us to work on ju- do justice, right? Well, what does that mean for a congregation? What does that look like, right? And I was like, all right, I've heard this enough. Well, I'm actually on the ground doing this stuff. Um, I've got the theological education. I know the church history of how we got to this mess to begin with. I can put this all together and, and offer resources. And my goal, I always have my the church that I was raised in as my first audience, right? Um, <clears throat> can they understand what I'm talking about? And if they can't understand what I'm talking about, then I don't want to write the book. That's not the kind of, I do write like short little academic essays and little things and I'll present a paper. But in terms of like really putting my heart and soul into something, um, it's that that black community that raised me is my first audience. Um, that's why when I, who will be a witness when I talk about, you know, why I use the word deliverance rather than liberation. It's not because, I mean, I do use liberation still in, in the book as well, but I think about like, 
let's be honest, like that's not the language that my church was raised in, but they did have a holistic way of understanding God's activity in a more comprehensive way. And it was the language of deliverance, right? It would use it. So I was like, that's the land I'm speaking to my people the way that they taught me. Right. Mm. Um, so yeah, I'll throw liberation in there too, but I, I talk about God's deliverance because mm. that's the, the way I they would understand connect. it. That's they're going to understand what I'm talking about in that way. And so I think like that has really oriented the work that I do. Um, and then I think about all the other audiences and stuff as well. Um, but, but that's my first audience always. Yeah. Mm. Man, That's dope. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love that. And it takes intentionality. And that is hard when you have to make those continual decisions. And I, I face that regularly and it is hard because it means you're giving up something. Yep. Um, Respectability, credibility, and um, sometimes a bag. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Don't remind me. I'm sorry. (laughs) Sorry. There will be uh, altar ministry over there. Um, But um, I want to. I want to throw this in here into our discussion, and feel free, brothers, to add in other things. But I want to throw political engagement into this discussion. We've kind of been dancing around it anyway. because we've been talking about theological traditions, but I see you talking about it when you, because um, one thing about uh, Dr. Hart is uh, he doesn't tweet all the time, but when he tweets, he just literally just no warm up, no, he just bam. All in. <laughs> literally just boom. I'm like, where did he, <laughs> where did he come from? Where was he? Just show up in the room, right? <laughs> here boom i'm like oh <laughs> were you thinking about this all day uh, <laughs> 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 and then he just he just tweets it out thread i hate this and then he just all right peace y'all <laughs> yeah argue with yourself Might drop on him yeah. Might drop on him argue with your mama do not argue with him. right <laughs> argue, argue. <laughs> Get, get your uncle with them ashy elbows. Debate him. Like, oh, right. man. And then he just leave. He's like, I'm not arguing with y'all. Peace. Um, but um, how does your understanding and the way that you engage God, the world, your particular um, understanding of God, deliverance, liberation, in, in the political arena? Because one thing that I love about you is you're not, you don't seem... Uh, ashamed of how to talk about politics. And I love that about you because again, especially post 2016, a lot of people still seem to mince words when it comes to politics. And if we should talk about politics Uh, (laughs) and would God want a, a Christian to talk about politics, uh you're like argue with your mama do not argue with me (laughs) (laughs) and you just you don't go on tirades but you're you do seem to understand that we live here so uh thoughts Um, yeah i mean i mean there's so many different ways to enter into this conversation but i mean i was like I'm a follower of Jesus. Um, and so like, for me, like, how can I not be political? Right. Um, Jesus Ooh. was political. The gospel is a- extremely political. And if you have any understanding of the new Testament and its context, then you understand how politically charged these first century Christians were, right. Gospel, a Galion, highly politically charged word that was used, uh, to talk about empires and emperors and this and that, and now is being applied to Jesus, right? Um, uh, Caesar is supposed to be savior, right? Deliver, bringer of peace and all these things applied to Jesus. Kingdom, right? You're not supposed to be any other king. I mean, it's just the whole thing is just politically, they intend, they chose, they chose all the politically charged words and applied it to Jesus. Uh. And, and re- yeah, I mean, so, so when we begin to over. see like what they're doing, <laughs> they're not shying away from, from the, the controversy of what it means to be 
followers of Jesus, and that sometimes we got to take some serious sides, right? And that's why I start off in the intro of who will be witness. Like, look, there is no halvesies in Christianity. That, like, that's just not faithful. You can't go halvesies on serious social issues. When people are, there's disproportionate suffering, you can't meet in the middle on that, right? Um, you know, no one says, you know, the, oh, uh, the most faithful way, you know, during the Holocaust with, the, with the, the moderates. No, of course not. Nobody would say that. But somehow we imagine that in our own contexts, that that is somehow a kind of faithful expression of following Jesus, um, which means that something's off and diseased about our imagination for what it means to be uh, followers of Jesus in the world. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that we've got to understand that following Jesus always take risks. Um, loving people requires taking risks um, and stepping out there and uh, yeah. Um, so I've never, that's never been a problem for me. Um, again, because I'm so influenced by the black prophetic stream of the black church, as well as um, the radical discipleship wing of the Anabaptist uh, movement, you know, for me, it's, it's common sense, you know, that that's it. And that it can't just be about what we say, though, we have to embody it, we have to live it out, um, that we have to, um, I talk about, you know, what does it mean to make visible the story of Jesus on the ground in our mm. own communities, right, mm. um, for our neighbors to see. And if we can't manifest the reign of God, where we're at in concrete, actual practice, then, you know, um, a lot of what we're saying is just, it's just, you know, talk. Man. All right. No. Okay. That, that just, that just, uh, set off another light bulb for me because another book I was, I was talking to Sam about was the politics of Jesus by Aubrey Hendricks. Yeah. Not Aubrey Hendricks. And I was trying to figure out who was the recommended to me. I'm almost, that was, that was that one of the resources and who will be a witness. Did, did, did you put that in there? I'm only saying that because a lot of the stuff you were saying just now mentioning the um, echoes a lot of the stuff that he talks about in there and the fact that like we can't divorce Jesus from like the political implications of the gospel of the New Testament right like he even drew the parallel between like the Gnostic heresy where it, it don't really seem like Jesus had a body and how some people are right. like what he calls I, I get I can't remember the exact term he used but something to the effect of like political uh Gnostics to the to the extent like oh no it only seemed like Jesus was political it only seemed like he cared about all of these things um and, and that we have to do a lot of mental gymnastics to get there yeah. and it's certainly been a process for me reclaiming those aspects of my belief and my life and reconciling them with my faith because so many of us have been conditioned to believe that there is some sort of division between our faith and our politics when at the same time we're being fed that idea we're, we're being fed the idea that neutral or where we ought to be landed is a lot of that stuff just happens to overlap with like conservative republican politics right like, right right um and, and and reclaiming the fact that okay First of all, there there's no such thing as like an apolitical faith. Like faith yeah, is inherently right. it's inherently political. It just is. Um, but but being giving myself permission to like examine that and like look at the real life implications that are not devised from whatever systematic uh, ideas we've had, but are in line with the things that like yo Jesus was crucified <laughs> like right. he was executed like he, he state was sanctioned like, execution under exactly. Rome under, under Rome but between two people who was like like the man you used all the all the fancy Greek words in there all the, all the stuff about the, uh, <laughs> uh he was crucified but between the the the, the insurrectionists the thieves all those people and everything like that so like no dude, there's a lot of important stuff that if we pretend that all of this is apolitical we're gonna miss the plot yeah. So the folks that say it's apolitical, I mean, those are the folks that are already in power that are, it's just like smoke and mirrors to hide the fact that everything that they're doing is deeply political. Um, yeah. And so they're trying to make it seem they normalize and overwhelm you with their view to just take it as a norm. Um, and then you don't actually question anything, but, but it's deeply political, right? I mean, that's the whole moral majority and all this stuff. They've been hoodwinking yeah. and bamboozling their folks uh, for decades. Oh, man, that's dope, Dr. Hart. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be respectful of your time because I could literally do this all night. Like, this is such a fascinating... Yeah. Um, like, man, one day I'm, I'm going to go get me one of them little PhD things. I'm going to ask you to help me do it, bro. 
Um, <laughs> but um, again, thank you for your time. And before we go ahead and and shut this down and, and tell the little lady to stop recording the conversation and everything like that, are <laughs> any are there any uh, parting words? Any anything you would like to say to the people? Um, any parting words? I don't know if I got any parting words, but um, anything to plug? I mean, go get a book. His books podcast yeah i mean sure sure you can do all that but but i I will say this for real though (laughs) i do think that um if there's no way to faithfully follow jesus in our world today unless we take seriously the legacy and the impact that colonialism has had on our world Hmm. um and, and I think we have to say that explicitly, like you cannot follow Jesus faithfully unless you are decolonizing the entangled, mangled, diseased, distorted, domesticated Christianity that we've passed on for so long, right? Wow. And the only folks that can, that will be of help in that are the very folks who are already and have been doing the work on the underside of that, right? Mm. Um, those are the those are the rivers, the wells of wisdom, the nuggets of of insights that we've got to draw from. Um, and I think you know that's that's got to be the message that we're pushing um, everywhere all the time um, because it is worse than we recognize wow. <laughs> in terms of what we've done to Christianity in yeah. the West. Um, in particular in the West. Um, mm. So anyway, that's not the most hopeful ending I know, but I, I just, I'm, I'm such a discipleship to Jesus guy. I deep every, that's the thing I want to pound all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Um, and how do we do it in light of the fact that Jesus has been whitened and domesticated and distorted and has been made into, you know, a mascot for the status quo. Like we've uh, got to grapple oof. with that. Uh, so, so anyway, that's my thing. But yes, you can you can certainly go buy Trouble I've Seen and Who Will Be a Witness and listen to Inverse Podcasts. Um, and if you would like to check us out in terms of Subversive Seminary, there are some awesome folks um, in the community from not only US and Canada and Australia, but Kenya, South Africa, um, all over the place. And so we have a lot of fun. And so it would be fun to have some uh, always open to some uh, dope folks joining the community. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. You, yeah. you, you did bring it up. I was about to say you can't. You 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 came from the black church. This you know the rule. You can you can take us to the low place, but then you got to take us to Calvary. You you, you brought right. 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 and <laughs> outstretched arms. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hung them high. Yeah. Stretched them wide. No, thank you so much. Yeah, Amen. for real. Thank you so much. talked about a new segment we're gonna talk about uh what's on the front burner some some things um that that uh we are excited about personally as as individuals and bringing that and sharing that with y'all hey party people (laughs) on this installment of on the front burner i have poetry and specifically i want to highlight Morgan Harper Nichols. And y'all, if you've been following me, you already know. <laughs> I I know everyone probably listening to this, maybe you've been a fan of Morgan's artwork and fo- maybe you followed her work on Instagram for a while. So I know I'm late to the party. But I have fallen in love with her poetry specifically, and I got her book, How Far You Have Come, Musings on Beauty and Courage, and whoo, y'all, it is so good that I found myself slowing down and savoring each page because I did not want... (laughs) the book to end and I don't know something in this time in my life has really made me uh, appreciate poetry more and partially it is 
the world uh, in the state that it is in, also getting into more poetry, also being connected to Trey and his love for poetry, and where all of these things have commingled, <laughs> here I am. And so I love this book. I loved it so much that I purchased her other book, All Along You Were Blooming, Thoughts for a Boundless Living. And it is just so... <laughs> I love it. I'm a stan. I would encourage you to get both of these and just sit with them. I've been sitting in the early morning hours or before I go to bed with uh, these poems and they've done my soul so much good. So Morgan Harper Nichols. Yeah, on the front burner. We now have a Patreon, which Patreon. I want to encourage each and every one of y'all to, to visit at uh, patreon.com slash three black men. Uh, think through it, pray through it, ask God <laughs> if, if he would have you partake in this work that we're doing because on top of some bonus content here, we have uh, some blog pieces going up. There's going to be some devotional content coming out. And I want to encourage you guys um, to visit that Patreon, patreon.com slash three black men. Go watch and, my um, kids ruin my videos. Go ahead. Watch, watch them. <laughs> them. Them babies ain't ruin nothing, man. As a matter of fact, there's, there's more people going to sign up to, to see them babies. How about that, bro? <laughs>